Hello and welcome to another edition of Fee Days Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush in Colorado. There are some great things happening and one of those is the Colorado GOP. The Colorado GOP has three women that are running the GOP in Colorado and the vice chair is Priscilla Ron. Priscilla is on today to talk about her life, her role, her hopes and her dreams for Colorado. Priscilla, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on, Jerry. And one really quick piece of um, history is that the Democrat Party in, in Colorado does not allow for all of their executive positions to be one gender. So they couldn't, even if they wanted to elect all females in their executive team, do that because they have um, created a rule not to allow yes, that. Yes, the, the left can't even uh, describe what a woman is. They, they can't even indicate that. You know? So that it is really hilarious and it's really funny. So I do want to talk about your background. You have a very, very interesting background. Uh, please tell me about, um, tell my listeners about your background, your family, your upbringing, and all the things that have influenced you in your life. My father is black. He was born in South Carolina. He was drafted into the Army at the age of 18 and served our great nation in Vietnam. He retired after almost 30 years, and he retired as a CW4, and he is my war hero. Um, my dad is the person who taught me how to stand for the pledge, how to love my country, but he also taught me how to fight, and I do that every single day as a conservative teacher in a liberal ecosystem called public education. My mother was born in Seoul, South Korea in 1938. And um, she remembers a unified Korea because the war started in 1950 when she was 12 years old. She eventually came to the US and started taking martial arts classes. And at the age of 81, she was inducted into the Korean Martial Arts Masters Hall of Fame. She's pretty amazing. And she's 84 years old now, and she is doing great. My parents are still married, going strong, and they are my heroes who really impacted how I grew up in a conservative Christian household. So I like to talk about my parents, but I'm also a public school teacher. I just finished my 28th year of teaching public education. I've been a principal, thank you. Um, and I've worked in higher education and very involved in the community and also just got involved with politics in the last couple of years. So that's just a little quick background about who I am. Yes, so what really a, a fantastic background. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself. Uh, so tell me, I mean, as a public school teacher, how how has that been? How have you been treated in an area that is not conservative at all. Uh, what has your experience been? Well, for many, many years, I never talked about my personal politics. So I was able to go through my involvement in education with pretty unscathed. And it wasn't until recently where I started to awaken more and see a lot of the problems in um, our education system. It was a slow frog boil. And I can go back two decades and tell you exactly when we started having these conversations around CRT and inclusivity and diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of these conversations didn't just happen uh, during the pandemic. They've been happening in our trainings 
for many, many years. So I decided to get involved politically and in policy as a teacher who actually is a member of the teachers union. I was a leader in the teachers union when being in the teachers union meant that you just got a newsletter every month and you got to go to professional development trainings and we got reduction in our car insurance. That's when it was, it seemed to be like really neutral. Um, but it has evolved into a more social justice warrior type of organization that hasn't aligned with my personal values. And so, but now lately, because I'm very vocal about where I stand politically, I do get ostracized by a lot of people, but it's very difficult for them to keep me silent because my ideas are good ideas. Right. That, that's so true. And, you, you know, I would imagine that you see people or people who are like-minded with you come up to you and, and kind of nudge you and pull you aside and say, hey, uh, hey, I agree with you. I agree with you, what you're saying, and but you have to keep it hush-hush. Has, has that happened to you as well? Oh, absolutely. And even people who are not Republicans and not on the right, because we have young uh, teachers who are left-leaning, because you can tell based on some of their social media that they're left-leaning, but they're sick and tired of being called racist. When you have colleagues who are white females and white males who are on um, professional development Zooms and they're apologizing for being white and they're saying, I'm so sorry for everything that's happened. And I stand up for them and I say, you don't have anything personally to apologize for. You have never done or said anything racist. You have never done or said anything that's damaging to the black community. So you don't need to walk around um, feeling bad just because you're a white person and they will come back to me and say, thank you for standing up. Because if I say something, then I feel like I'm going to lose my job because they are an probationary teachers. They could easily lose their jobs for speaking up. So Priscilla, I know you had gotten involved in the issue of uh, CRT, critical race theory, and you were equating critical race theory with Marxism. And I 100% agree fully. I know where you're coming from with that, and, and it's absolutely correct. Um, explain the correlation between critical race theory and Marxism, and then it also if you could comment on the backlash that you received for making that comparison and taking on CRT. So for those who don't know the history, it originated in a school of thought in Austria and um, around the haves and the have nots. And I, I like to describe things in a really basic way. If you um, are wealthy and you own the wealth and you are the boss well, then you're not for the little people and you don't share um, as as well as people who are the workers believe. And so that was a school of thought that if everybody had the same thing, all would be well in the world. Well, that ideology came over to the U.S. and was then discussed in universities in the legal department. So we have Black attorneys who then started taking a look at systemically racist laws. And fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we have had racist laws on the books and we're not denying that. Slavery, Chinese Exclusion Act, redlining, Japanese internment camps, blacks can't marry 
whites. I mean, we can go on and on and on about systemically racist laws. We even talk about in education where some of those systemically racist policies come from. For example, the Crown Act, where little black girls who have kinky, poofy hair were being sent home because they were told by the school, your hair is big and it's inappropriate for our um, policies here, our hair policy. So you have to now straighten your hair and change your hair. Well, that's an example of a more recent systemically racist rule. So there's really fundamentally nothing wrong with looking at rules that are unfair and unequal. But what has transformed is what I call um, uh, CRT 2.0. So when I talk about CRT, I mean, when you start to tell little black girls and black boys that they are oppressed or less than, or you create new grading policies um, that help support um, when students don't do their work. For example, I was told, don't give a student a zero if they don't turn in their work. Give them a 50 because it could traumatize them and disincentivize them from doing work. Or where we've seen in colleges and universities where a professor says, you have to show up and take your final exam. And the black student says, well, we don't want to take our final exams. And if the professor says, no, you have to because everybody has to take their final exams, then that professor is fired from their job. So we're seeing where even on college campuses, black students are saying to white students, you should not be in this space because I don't feel comfortable because you're white and you're taking up space. So there are many, many examples in America where we see it from elementary all the way up into higher education, where, it, where the conversation has shifted from actual equity into being inequitable and racist in nature. So that's what I do my workshops on is I combat that negative narrative. And the, and the other last thing that I'll add is I grew up as a black student being told I was um, an ancestor of slaves. So when you hear that growing up, like all you are, you're, you're the beginning of your existence in America is from slavery, then you will always think that you're less than. But the truth is, all of us who are descend descendants of enslaved people are also descendants of doctors, lawyers, tribal leaders, inventors. My legacy, my ancestors were somebody. So I have to think that I come from amazing people and that I am capable. If they could survive and do great things, then I can too. And that's the message that I give to my black students. Yeah, you know, Priscilla, I think you're 100% correct in pointing out that, you know, look, it's okay to accept and admit that we have had racism and we have had racist laws and in our history. And that, that's good to accept that. We know that. No one has ever denied that. But, you, the, but the people of this world, every nationality, every society – can trace their roots back at some point and find discrimination, slavery, racism against their particular culture, white, black, it doesn't matter. It's all there. That's just the reality of, of it all. But uh, hey, you also had, you talked about your parents being uh, influencers in your life. That's really fantastic. Is there anyone else outside of family that have influenced you in your political philosophy and ideology? Well, the first person that I felt like really influenced me politically was Condoleezza Rice. I was really young and I saw, wow, she's the, she's a black woman, someone who I looked up to who was incredibly well-spoken, incredibly educated, had conservative values, and she was in such a high position of influence. And I looked up to her and I said, wow, if she could do it, I can do it. 
Um, when I look at our Supreme Court justices, when I look at even Ron DeSantis now, um, who is a strong fighter for conservative values, who stands up, stands up for parents. And I think, yes, that's exactly the right message. He resonates with me. Um, and he doesn't have to look like me. He doesn't have to be the same gender as me. But we agree fundamentally on what makes life better for everyday Americans. These are just a few you know, individuals that I look up to that I think have created a great pathway for the rest of um, Americans. I have admired greatly Thomas Sowell, the great economist, writer. Uh, he's a brilliant person in it and has been very influential over me and over lots of people. Condoleezza Rice, of course, as you said, is is very impressive. It's it's really it shouldn't matter about the skin color or ethnicity. It's really all about character. Yeah, you know, Jerry, I I think the reason why we agree on that, and I don't know much about your upbringing, but because I come from a biracial, bicultural home, growing up in the military where we moved a lot all over the world. And so we were, we were meeting people from other parts of the world as well. And it was less about your skin color or your gender or your religion or anything like that. It was all about character. And when you're promoted in the military, it's about what you're able to accomplish. That type of mindset was ingrained in me to see people for who they were. And my parents were those types of people too, where everybody was welcome in our home. So I didn't grow up with this notion of separatism and racism. My father grew up during segregation, um, which is a miracle that he was able to raise my generation, my siblings and I, to not use that against America per se as a weapon. So, And Priscilla, as the vice chair of the Colorado GOP, share with us what the top issues are that are confronting Colorado right now. The top issues facing Colorado are uh, affordability, safety, and education. And within that safety, I will also add the drug problem. So no, we're number one in the country in car thefts. We're number two in the country with drug overdose deaths. With fentanyl is a huge issue. We have about 5% of our students who are proficient in literacy. These are dismal, dismal numbers. You don't ever want to be number one and number two in crime and drugs. So these are the issues that we're talking to everyday people. I know across the nation, you know, we're looking at gas prices. We're looking at affordable groceries. We're looking at the shortage of um, baby formula. People deciding to go to work. Why aren't our kids learning? You know, coming back from the pandemic. All of these issues that the nation is fighting, we're fighting in um, Colorado specifically, in our, our hurdle, I should say, is that we do have a supermajority of Democrats in our Congress, in our, in our um, governor's office, and in all of the other elective secretary of state, attorney general, all of those offices are all held by Democrats. And so I say it's no wonder that we are dealing with a lot of the homelessness and the problems the crime here in Colorado because there's a supermajority that have tanked our way of life here in Colorado that used to be amazing, but now has been destroyed. And Priscilla, you do talk about uh, the importance and need for uh, the police, and you've been a great supporter of the police. Explain the how and the why. You are a minority. 
were basically told by the left that if you're a minority, you're a target and you should hate the police and, and all this stuff. Explain why you find value in the police departments and you support the police. Well, I think the fundamental reason why I support police, I feel like, you know, teachers, nurses, police, firefighters, we all deal with a, a lot of the similar problems of serving our community, but also um, having to absorb a lot of abuse. And so I, I kind of feel like they're part of my family, but also because I need them, you need them, we all need them to keep our community safe. Great cops are everywhere. When I was an administrator, I worked really, really closely with law enforcement. They kept our students safe. When we called on them, they were quick to show up. And they are here to protect and serve. And just like in any profession, you have examples of bad you know, employees. I'm not saying that there aren't instances. I can point to many instances where I, where I think that was a really bad decision of a police officer to take. And so we have to, again, take a look at policies and laws that will keep people safe, but um, will also keep police officers safe as well, because it's a very complicated conversation. So yes, I've been to every pro-police rally that I can go to where I thank them. They're mostly um, appreciation rallies. And of course, the left shows up, um, Antifa shows up, uh, they BLM shows up, and they're very, very hateful. Um, but what we're seeing now is, again, crime, theft, uh, all of these people not being able to get the help they need in time when there is an emergency because of this um, force against the police. And we are seeing police officers retire early, moving, saying, I'm done. I don't want to put up with this. And so even response times have been slowed down, which is very, very dangerous. Um, so I really hope to be a part of the conversation where we say, hey, let's put more funding into training our police officers where they're equipped, where we can entice more people to come into the profession so that the, there's not that overload and burden on our communities. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, it just reminds me, I did see an article and I and I could be slightly off in the numbers, but it was, I believe, 1,200 or something around that police officers killed in the line of duty last year. And, you know, we never hear about those, but it, it really is an issue. And it, and in all fairness to, you know, when police officers are involved in a shooting themselves, we need to know and understand uh, the full risks that the police have. And the fact of the matter is they are at much greater risk than anyone else. Uh, it, I'm curious too, Priscilla, what is your future? What is your political future? Is there a congresswoman, uh, Priscilla Ron, in your future? Uh, wh what are your plans? Well, I mean, we have to look at the tea leaves, right? <laughs> See, I'm gaining a lot of experience and learning about my community. I'm involved at the county level. I'm involved at the state level. Um, and I think the biggest thing is to go out and listen. I don't think you should just run for off because you have, you know, want to just talk or you want power. Um, we have had enough of that in politics. So I'm looking for what are my strengths? Obviously, education is my wheelhouse. Um, I'm learning a lot about land usage and water and governance. So I'm going to gather my advisors and take a look at what's happening in the elections going forward and see where's where's there a need. 
that's really the right way to do that and be really prayerful and say, is, is this where God is leading me to be involved in politics or is he leading me to be involved in policy or where is he leading me? So you'll have to stay tuned. You'll have to, you know, cause I can't tell you exactly what's in the future, but I know that I'm not done. I'm just getting started and I hope to be a big positive influence and walk the walk. Yes. And absolutely. You know, you could be influential and impactful on your community, on your country, your state, uh, without being in politics and whatever it is that you do, whether you stay in, in, in the area you're in now with the Colorado GOP or as a teacher or whatever you might do, you're going to have an impact. And something tells me that you, you are going to be a success, certainly at whatever you do, you already are a success. And that is really great. I just hope that, uh, and would ask that, uh, whatever your futures are, uh, I know they're going to be bright that you come on back on, uh, my show another time and, and talk about it. And, you know, hopefully down the road, we, we could, uh, again, keep in touch and I will definitely enjoy watching your success. So Priscilla, Ron, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jerry. I promise I will come back. And thank all of you for watching this episode of Fides Podcast or listening to this episode of Fides Podcast with Priscilla Ron, the vice chair of the Colorado GOP. Please check out all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on YouTube, on Rumble, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. So thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.